The Mountain Vista Baptist Church podcast features the preaching and teaching of Pastor Robert Perry and the guest speakers of Mountain Vista Baptist. The purpose of this podcast is to help believers grow, to edify the saints, and to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. Luke chapter number 12. Luke chapter number 12, as we continue to strive to study through the book of Luke here on Sunday evenings, uh, we're going to find ourselves opening up into chapter number 12 tonight. And um, of course, we've gone through chapter 11, which held a lot of things in it already. Jesus has been... um, um, He's been uh, doing miracles, he's, been, uh, he's cast out uh, demons, he's healed those that were deaf and dumb, and uh, we've seen his interactions with crowds and people as he's gone along uh, through that chapter of chapter number 11. Of course, then, we uh, closed out chapter number 11 a couple weeks ago uh, with a special service as Brother Matt was going to be, of course, heading back to uh, home for his uh, uh, last few weeks before going back to college, our summer intern, and Brother Tyler as well, and myself, and the three of us kind of tag-teamed that portion and uh, brought the message. That was a lot of fun. I hope you enjoyed it as well. But if you didn't, I did. It's okay. Uh, but anyways, uh, we enjoyed that time together as we closed it out. I want to draw your attention, actually, uh, to the last few verses of chapter number 11, uh, because chapter number 12, the beginning of it, ties into all these events that were found in chapter number 11. And notice what it says in verse number 53. And as he said these things unto them, of course, he's speaking to the Pharisees and scribes, the lawyers, the crowd of people that were gathered around him. And he's, uh, he's given, he has given them a pretty stern warning uh, about the way that they were going about uh, imposing things upon people that was never part of the law, never part of the word. Uh, and then, of course, uh, he got on to those who taught such and those lawyers as well. And so as he said these things, as he was reprimanding and rebuking, uh, it says uh, the the scribes and the Pharisees began to urge him vehemently uh, and to provoke him to speak of many things, laying in wait for him and seeking to catch something out of his mouth that they might accuse him. And so they're wanting to find something that he says, maybe some way to trip him up. You ever been there where you kind of are talking, you're sharing your heart or, or trying to explain something, and uh, you're not out of anything um, um, with, with bad intent or anything like that, but you kind of misspeak, and then somebody tries to turn that around on you and say, you don't know what you're talking about or see where you are there. That's what they were hoping to find with Jesus. Of course, Jesus is God perfect, and he w- that was not going to happen, but that's what they were hoping for. So let's jump into chapter 12 now and read on down through verse number 12, Luke chapter 12, verse number 1, down through verse number 12. In the meantime, when there were gathered together an innumerable multitude of people, insomuch that they trod one upon another, he began to say unto his disciples, first of all, Beware ye of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. For there is nothing covered that shall not be revealed, neither hid that shall not be known. Therefore, whatsoever ye have spoken in darkness shall be heard in the light, and that which ye have spoken in the ear in closets shall be proclaimed upon the housetops. And I say unto you, my friends, be not afraid of them that kill the body, and after that have no more that they can do. But I will forewarn you whom ye shall fear. Fear him which after he hath killed hath power to cast into hell. Yea, I say unto you, fear him. Are not five sparrows sold for two farthings, and not one of them is forgotten before God? 
But even the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore, ye are of, a, of more value than many sparrows. Also I say unto you, whosoever shall confess me before men, him shall the Son of Man also confess before the angels of God. But he that denieth me before men shall be denied before the angels of God. And whosoever shall speak a word against the Son of Man, it shall be forgiven him. But unto him that blasphemeth against the Holy Ghost, it shall not be forgiven. And when they bring you into the synagogues and unto magistrates and powers, take ye no thought how or what thing ye shall answer or what ye shall say. For the Holy Ghost shall teach you in the same hour what ye ought to say. Our Father, we thank you again tonight for an opportunity to gather together in your house again with other believers. We thank you for the opportunity to open your word and to study it and to learn from it, to be able to apply it to our lives, that it might be able to draw us closer to you, Lord. I would ask that you would speak through me and give me the word to speak as I deliver your message tonight. Uh, it is our heart's prayer and desire that we would uh, not only honor you and, and glorify you, but we would magnify you in everything that is accomplished, said, and done here tonight. Uh, Lord, we, we ask that your will would come and that it would be made manifest and known in our life that we might be able to perform it and, uh, and, uh, and just show your light amongst those in this world around us. Lord, we praise you and thank you for offering salvation, and we praise you and thank you for uh, being with us at all times. And Lord, we ask all these things in Jesus' name, amen. Of course, as I mentioned earlier already, that that phrase, as we open up in the chapter number 12 and verse number 1, in the meantime, that phrase is connecting these ongoing events that are taking place in chapter 12 with those that have already taken place in chapter number 11. It is connecting this. It's, it, it, we find these chapter breaks in the Bible. We find these verses in the Bible. And those were, of course, included for our sake to be able to recall where the turn for memorization and those types of things after the fact. When the gospel of Luke was written, he did not write chapter number 12 and verse number one, and then proceed on. Uh, it's, it's awesome to be able to even, uh, through apps and different audio things, to be able to listen to it, and the reader will say, Luke chapter 12, and verse number one. And, uh, and it helps us, no doubt. It helps us with those things, but that's not how it was written. We understand that. We, we know that. And so we have to realize that all of these events are just continuous. They're all kind of uh, combining together, and that helps us to remember that as we see those words that in the meantime, that it's connecting us to the things that have already happened where he'd cast out demons and healed the man who was deaf and dumb. A crowd of people has been gathering around Jesus, had been following around Jesus, and now has grown to a multitude of people. Uh, there was at least a couple of thousand people that were gathered around him because that phrase that we read there, uh, the innumerable multitude, if you look that up, it literally means a grouping of tens of thousands or thousands. And so at the very least, we know there's over a thousand people that have gathered around Jesus at this time. There, I don't know how many were there when he rebuked the Pharisees and the scribes and the lawyers and such, by, but by this time, uh, and as we get into the events unfolding into chapter number 12, over th a thousand people, thousands of people are gathered around. Could you imagine this? I mean, could you imagine Jesus in that day trying to teach and to speak to a couple thousand people, even up to 10,000 people, there was not any PA system or microphone in those days. 
He did not have a way of somehow super or, 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 or uh, uh, being able to magnify his voice with something uh, mechanical or anything like that. But he was able to reach these multitudes and speak. And people just wanted to get close enough to hear the words that he was speaking. I mean, when you really stop and think about it, it's marvelous. It's, 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 it's awe-inspiring. But in this specific setting at the beginning of chapter number 12, although he's surrounded by thousands, we find that he doesn't focus on them. He focuses on his 12. And he speaks to the disciples directly and begins to give them some lessons, some teaching unto them specifically. Now, there was a th- more than a thousand people around them. I'm sure that many of them were able to hear the things that he was saying, but his focus at this time is specifically on his disciples and helping him, them to learn the lessons he would have for them. Warren Wiersbe actually offers the following insight concerning this portion of Scripture. He says, the religious leaders were trying to trap Jesus. The crowds were thronging Jesus, but he was neither afraid of the enemy nor impressed by the multitudes. He lived to please God alone. He saw the twelve were worried about the Pharisees, so he warned them to fear God alone and not fear man. If we fear God, we need not fear anyone or anything else. When we start fearing people, then we are in danger of compromising in order to please them and protect ourselves, and this leads to hypocrisy." And uh, no doubt, that is kind of what Jesus is trying to, uh, to get across here in this lesson tonight. He's looking at all the things unfolded. He's spoken to these Pharisees. He's spoken to the lawyers. He's rebuked them and reprimanded them. They're trying to find any way possible to trip him up and to find occasion to accuse him. And while all this is taking place, the crowd is just continually, grow- continually growing. I'm sure that amongst those thousands of people that were gathered around were people who were on Jesus' side. I mean, they were for him. I'm sure there was people in that crowd that were neutral in their decision or estimation of who Jesus was. But no doubt, even as that crowd grew, I'm sure that it grew with those who were hostile towards Jesus as well. And with all of this taking place, Jesus sees his disciples beginning to look and beginning to worry. You ever been in that situation where you know things are kind of uncertain, things are kind of, you're not sure what's going to unfold next, and you're with others, and nobody said anything yet, but you can kind of see it in the way that the other person is carrying themselves, in the look on their face maybe, that you can tell that they're worried. I mean, I think, I, I, I think of uh, the whole COVID thing that's been going on over this last year and such. And when it first uh, started unrolling, I tried to have a, 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 a upbeat spirit about it and say, it's going to be okay. In fact, I, I remember staying, standing in front of you and saying things like, it will be gone by Easter and we're going to have Easter services and things like that. And, and just trying to be positive about that and trying to, to lead from a positive side, a viewpoint of things and such. But I remember even in the midst of that, that there were folks who were like, okay, I'm, up, I'm behind that. But I could tell looking at them that they were concerned. They were a little worried. That's what Jesus is picking up on. Not only through their body language and the look on their face, but remember, he's God. So he even knows their thoughts. And so while that's all taking place, he takes a moment as he's surrounded by those who hate him, those who are kind of neutral about him, and those who are for him even. Thousands of people. But he takes the time to focus on 12. And he teaches them some lessons, some lessons in which we are able to be able to, uh, we're able to derive and learn something about for ourselves even tonight as well. 
see a proper understanding of the relationship we have with God and man enables us to successfully live the Christian life before men. Let me say it again. See, the proper understanding of the relationship we have with God and man enables us to successfully live the Christian life before men. So number one this this evening, as we consider these lessons that Jesus taught his disciples that we're privy to tonight, notice number one that Jesus taught to take heed against false teachers. In verses one through three, he says this, in the meantime, when there were gathered together an innumerable multitude of people insomuch that they trod one upon another, He began to say unto his disciples, first of all, beware ye of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. For there is nothing covered that shall not be revealed, neither hid that shall not be known. Therefore, whatsoever ye have spoken in darkness shall be heard in the light, and that which ye have spoken in the ear in closets shall be proclaimed upon the housetops. See, with the crowd of people assembled before him, Jesus takes the time to issue this warning against those who would be false teachers. Yes, he's directly addressing the disciples, but no doubt many others would have heard this message, even those he would be calling the false teachers as well. What's the warning? What is it about about taking heed against false teachers? He says, consider the leaven of the Pharisees. In verse number one, he says that. He says, beware ye of the leaven of the Pharisees. The primary warning that Jesus is giving here in this portion of the lesson is focused specifically on this group that was known as the Pharisees. The reason why he's focusing on them is because their dangerous teaching, their dangerous do- doctrines that they were teaching, was his, it was extremely, was, would lead to extreme hypocrisy. It would lead to living a life that no one ever really knew who you were. It was like it, it, one, at one point, you'd be this, and one point, you'd be that, and here in another place, you'd be another thing. In fact, that word hypocrisy, uh, it comes from a word which has the mindset or, or the meaning, it has the meaning of a stage actor, a pl- someone who is, plays multiple roles in those days, especially or in the early days when uh, drama was put on, for instance. They would not necessarily have an individual to play each part, but they'd have one individual play multiple roles. And the way that they did that is by using a mask. You've ever seen those masks on the, on the, on the sticks? They'd come out on, on the stage holding a mask, and they'd do their part here, and then they'd exit stage left, and the rest of it would go on. And the next thing you know, the next character would come out. It'd be the same exact person that played the last character, but with a different mask, and they do their part. And they might do as many as three or four, even five different uh, roles, the same individual playing different roles in the same play, but never actually really showing who they really are. That's what hypocrisy really is. It's saying on Sunday, this is how I act on Sunday when I'm at church, and then this is my Monday act, and this is my Tuesday act. And then this is my weekend as I'm out partying act. See what I'm saying? That's hypocrisy. And Christ is warning against this teaching that is coming from the Pharisees because ultimately their teaching led to extreme hypocrisy. Their teaching was that if you follow these lists of this, do's and don'ts and all this type of thing, that regardless of whether or not your heart was even close to God or not, then you could put on the act at least of looking like someone 
who was religious, someone to be respected. And so uh, we find that it was a dangerous doctrine that he was, war- uh, he was warning about. And as he speaks about this leaven of the Pharisees, we notice this enthusiastic crowd that's around him. As the lesson is unfolding, this great crowd of people begin to gather around in the background, and thousands upon thousands of people came to hear Jesus teach, but knew that his popularity was only temporary. The Bible tells us in in Luke chapter 5, earlier on in the book, chapter 5, verse number 15, but so much the more went there a fame abroad of him, and great multitudes came together to hear and to be healed of their infirmities. See, they were only there to see what they could gain from gathering around. But within this enthusiastic crowd, as we mentioned already, was the problematic Pharisees. And again, Wiersbe says this, Jesus compared it, as he spoke about the Pharisees' hypocrisy, Jesus compared it to the leaven or yeast, something that every Jew would associate with evil. And therefore, like yeast, hypocrisy begins very small, but grows quickly and quietly. See, instead of trying to paint a pretty picture or try to put a positive sin, a false optimism on things, Jesus just responds with reality. He says, here's the truth. He calls his disciples to be constantly vigilant against hypocrisy, a spiritual leaven that would corrupt. See, my friends, we, we too need to be on guard against that. Are we not capable, even prone to, kind of putting on a show as we gather around God's people, but then kind of acting in another way when we're around maybe the, the crowd out in the world, maybe our coworkers. If you work with another church member, I hope that's not the case. <laughs> but here's the deal. We're prone to it. We have a propensity to just kind of fall into hypocrisy and say things on Sunday, th- say things as we're around the religious crowd, if you want to put it that way, that really doesn't, reckon, doesn't portray who we really are inside. See, Christ, He wants us to glorify Him. He wants us to be able to, to magnify Him. And, and our life can do that. Our life can, can truly promote that we are Christ's and the way that we live. In fact, Christ Himself said that you'll know that they are my disciples by their love one for another. Not because of the clothes that they wore, not because of the, the, even the words that they used. Now, there's plenty of scripture that talks about our, the way we speak and not to let corrupt communication proceed out of our mouth and the things like that. But the, when it came down to the nitty gritty, when Jesus said, hey, this is how you're going to know who my disciples are, he said, by, your, by their love for one another. And then he said to the individual, if ye love me, keep my commandments. But my friends, listen, here's the deal this, this evening. We're, we're very capable of putting on the act around God's people and it not really being what we live in our life in, inside. Christ wants us, wants it to, he wants to have all of us, not just the outer shell, not just the facade. And therefore, he warns his disciples about being vigilant against hypocrisy. Matthew 16 and 6, it says, Then Jesus said unto them, Take heed and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and of the Sadducees. 1 Corinthians 5, verses 7 and 8, Purge out, therefore, the old leaven, that ye may be a new lump, 
uh, as ye are unleavened. For even Christ, our Passover, is, is sacrificed for us. Therefore, let us keep the feast, not with old leaven, neither with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. So tonight, as we consider Christ's words on taking heed against false teachers, he warns about the leaven of the Pharisees, but notice he also speaks about the light of truth in verses 2 through 3. For there is nothing covered that shall not be revealed, neither hid that shall not be known. Therefore, whatsoever ye have spoken in darkness shall be heard in the light, whatsoever which ye have spoken in the ear of the closets shall be proclaimed upon the housetops." Jesus, if you may, uses a proverbial expression to state that hypocrisy can never be truly successful because hypocrisy will always eventually be revealed. We might put on an act early on, and we might, we might fool some folks early on, and we might have everything kind of going our way and, and uh, paint the picture as we want it to be when we're around certain people, like the chameleon, if you wanted to put it that way. During our, our VBS this summer, uh, one of the characters was a chameleon, and that was uh, kind of some of the truth that, uh, uh, that was trying to be portrayed through that as well. But listen, we're not to just change our colors based off of the situation or circumstance or the people that we're around. What is truly inside will eventually come out, and it, although we paint up a facade on the outside, one day it will be known. And there comes a time when the secrets of our hearts will be revealed. Nothing that is, do is done escapes his eye or his mind. So even if we think we've, even if we think that we have, even if we think that we have fooled someone else, we have to understand that we're not fooling God. He knows where we're at. And he knows what we've done. He knows what we think. He knows this, what, we're, what we say in the even hidden places. And uh, we must realize that there, it will come to light. Luke 6, I'm sorry, Luke 8, verse 17. For nothing is secret that shall not be made manifest, neither anything hid that shall not be known and come abroad. Ecclesiastes 12, 14. For God shall bring every work into judgment with every secret thing, whether it be good, or whether it be evil. In 1 Corinthians 4 and 5, therefore judge nothing before the time until the Lord come, who both will bring to light the hidden things of darkness and will make manifest the counsels of the hearts, and then shall every man have praise of God. When Jesus is speaking here in verse number 3, he says, those things that have been spoken in the ears of the closets shall be proclaimed upon the housetops. That cl word closets just simply means like a secret room or a chamber, a place where you think nobody else was listening. It will eventually be made known. And so as Jesus is giving these lessons here, there's thousands of people around him, but he specifically addresses his disciples and he says, take heed against false teachers. Secondly, tonight, I want you to notice that he says, take account of forgotten truths. Verses 4 through 7, it says, And I say unto you, my friends, be not afraid of them that kill the body, and after that have no more that they can do. Uh, but I will forewarn you uh, whom ye shall fear, fear him, which after he hath killed hath power to cast into hell. Yea, uh, I say unto you, fear him. Are not five sparrows sold for two farthings? And not one of them is forgotten before God. Verse number seven. But even the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore, ye are of more value than many sparrows. 
See, the second lesson that the Lord gives to his disciples here as we look into this, this meeting with them amongst the thousands is Jesus is telling them that uh, they should remember several very important truths that apparent, apparently they had forgotten or at least taken lightly. One thing he reminded them of is of his own power. Look at verses 4 and 5 with me again. In verse 4, I say unto you, my friends, be not afraid of them that can kill the body, and after that have no more that they can do. But I will forewarn you of whom you shall fear. Fear him which hath power, uh, which hath to, uh, which after he hath killed hath power to cast into hell. Yea, I say unto you, fear him. The first truth to remember is that God has all power; He has all authority. Unfortunately, in that day, apparently many had forgotten that. Even the disciples were beginning to worry about the Pharisees. Even the disciples were beginning to worry about those who would be the enemies of Christ and worry that they might come and do something to him and therefore might do something to them as well. They begin to worry and he begins to warn them that, uh, and remind them to take account of the truths that they already know, that he has all power and that he has all might. And, uh, and the majority of our country today, polls have said this, Majority of our country today believes in a place called heaven, but don't believe in a place called hell. And my friends, it's because they want to have this positive and this, and this, uh, this, this uh, idea that of this utopia where everything's going to be good and there can never be any bad and such. But my friends, the scripture is clear that both heaven and hell are real, literal places. And God has the power to deliver us from being able to have to experience that punishment of hell. But he also, in his justice and in his perfection, anyone who denies and rejects him, he will just honor their request and allow them to experience the punishment that would await for them. See, what is trying to be put across here is the fact that, yes, man might be able to kill the body, but we should not have, worry about that because we ought to worry more, we ought to fear more the one who has the power over our soul as well. See, Jesus content, continues to instruct his disciples, warning them about whom they fear. He addresses them there in verse number four as friends, indicating that the 12 were in view, that he's specifically speaking to them as well. His he is teaching uh, that their concern is uh, not for those who would kill them physically and be able to do nothing more, but that they ought to be more concerned with honoring Christ and following Him and, uh, and, and doing His will other than what others in this world might consider. Now, doesn't that fly in the face of the health, wealth, and prosperity culture that we have in churches today, doesn't it? The, see, in, if, in, in the... In that type of a preaching setting, in that type of a culture, it says that if you do this or that, then God's going to just pour out blessings and there's never going to be any problems. And if you'll send uh, $10,000 to the ministry, they'll send you some snot rag that they blew his nose in and God's going to give you all these blessings and there will never be any problems and there'll never be any issues or anything like that. But listen, Jesus is talking to his disciples and he says, yeah, I see that you're fearful, but don't fear them. Yeah, they can kill the body. But you ought to fear the one who has power over your soul. Amen. He's not saying that they're going to escape any problems. He's not saying they're going to escape any issues. 
He's not guaranteeing that, they will, that he's going to protect their physical life. In fact, in 1 Peter 3 and 14, it says, but, and, and if ye suffer for righteousness' sake, happy are ye, and be not afraid of their terror, neither be troubled. Do you understand that most of the disciples, they died the death of a martyr? These are men that no doubt did the will of God. These are men that no doubt were close to him and followed his will. But he still saw fit that they die in such a way. Now, I'm not standing up here tonight trying to say that every one of us here are going to face persecution and that we're going to be martyred for our faith. But I'm just trying to help us understand that even if that's the case, we shouldn't tuck tail and run. Because God has power over our soul, our eternal life. We ought to fear Him great more than those who could just kill the body. In Revelation 2 and 10, it says, Fear none of those things which thou shalt suffer. Behold, the devil shall cast some of you into prison, that you may be tried, and that you have tribulation ten days. Be thou faithful unto death, and I'll give thee a crown of life. Acts 20 and 24, But none of these things move me, neither count I my life dear unto me, so that I might finish my course with joy and the ministry which I have received received of the Lord Jesus to testify the gospel of the grace of God. What he's trying to get across, as he says in verse number five, is God has the power over all things. In Revelation 14 and 7, saying with a loud voice, fear God and give glory to him for the hour of his judgment has come and worship him that made heaven and earth and the sea and the, found, the fountains of waters. Psalm 9 and 17, the wicked shall be turned into hell and all the nations that forget God. What Christ is trying to teach here is, hey, don't forget about things you already know. Remember these lessons. Remember these important things. Take account of these forgotten truths. The one truth that he tried to get across was the power of God. The second truth he tried to get across in verses 6 and 7 is the presence of God. Notice verse number 6. Are not five sparrows sold for two farthings? And not one of them is forgotten before God. But even the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore, ye are of more value than many sparrows. He uses his words to paint a vivid picture, an illustration of the fact that we can trust him. He speaks first of the value of sparrows there in verse number six, and, and uh, he's speaking specifically about the father's care over his creation. Now, in those days, it's interesting that a sparrow was one of the cheapest products that you could purchase at the market in that day. That would allude to the fact that possibly that it was part of the diet of the poorest of the society. The, they, it was, it was, it'd be like, okay, <laughs> when I was a kid, I don't know if you've, I don't even know if it's selling, I don't even, I, I, I don't even know if it's a, a thing anymore. But when I was a kid, my parents used to buy this meat, I guess it's meat, it was called brown swagger. Anybody ever hear of that? All right. It's good stuff. I liked it as a kid as well, all right? But it's like, what is this stuff? It's like the scraps of the scraps of the scraps, right? I'll put together if I understand it correctly. Like you think hot dogs are probably not good for your health. Brown swagger is even lower than that, all right? But I used to dig that stuff, man. It was the bomb, as Brother Ed said back there. That was good stuff. I, I enjoyed it. All right. Sparrows were like the brown swagger in the market of the day. Like the poor people bought it. That's what they made their sandwiches. They used it to make their gravy. <laughs> Instead of sausage, they're using that. I mean, all I'm saying is, like, you, 
just to get by, that's what you bought. And what Jesus is saying about the sparrows, the outcast in the, found in the market, that even Jesus knows the sparrow. And if Jesus knows the sparrow that is the worthless eh, leftover that they make just enough off of to make it worth selling in the market, remember this, he knows even every hair that's on your head. Now, for some, I could probably figure that out. But it goes beyond what we can see outwardly. I believe that even would speak to the fact of any hair follicles that would be in the head, that even if you purposely shave it and there's none that I, none that I can see, God knows what's actually there. He knows everything about you. He knows every intricate detail about you. And he's stressing that God does not forget his own. He's trying to tell his disciples, if God knows about the sparrow, that is the least of everything in the market, and then knows everything about you, he says this, he specifically says this, ye are of more value than many sparrows. Not just one, but many sparrows. Even the cheapest item can turn into a lot of money if you buy enough of them. And he says, you are of more value even than many sparrows. Luke 12, and, uh, and later on in this chapter, in verse number 24, consider the ravens, for they neither sow nor reap, which neither have storehouses nor barn, and God feedeth them. How much more are ye better than the fowls? He talks, so he starts with the value of sparrows to help them to understand the value of God's servants as he closes out verse number seven. He remarks not to fear, uh, it, 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 and it's in a, it, the way that it's written there, it has this, uh, the meaning of this just to be a basic attitude, an everyday manner of life that, yes, even in the hardest of times, not tr to truly fear because God is always with you. The people here are being instructed not to worry because God will take care of them. What's the, what did Paul write in, in the book of Philippians? Be careful for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, make your request, with thanksgiving, make your request made known unto God. He knows our needs. He's aware of our situations. He knows what we're going to face. He knows that we might even face rejection for taking a stand for Christ's sake. And he's saying, don't worry. Don't fear, because he's always with you. Tomorrow, when you go into work and you face a bad day or whatever the case might be, or remember, God's still with you. When, uh, when things just aren't going the way that you expected them, remember, God is still with you. And that's what Jesus is trying to remind his disciples while he's even ever present with them right there. He's saying, don't forget, I am with you. Matthew 6 and 26, behold, the fowls of the air, for they sow not, neither do they reap nor gather into barns, yet our, your heavenly Father feedeth them. Are ye not much better than they? The last lesson that we see Jesus teach during this time is not only to take heed against false teaching, about, against false teachers, to take account of forgotten truths, but thirdly, he says, take care to avoid faithless testimonies. Take care to avoid faithless testimonies. Look at verses 8 through 12. Also I say unto you, whosoever shall confess me before men, 
him shall the Son of Man also confess before the angels of God. But he that denieth me before men shall be denied before the angels of God. And whosoever shall speak a word against the Son of Man, it shall be forgiven him. But unto him that blasphemeth against the Holy Ghost, it shall not be forgiven. And when they bring you unto the synagogues, and into the magistrates and powers, take ye no thought how or what thing ye shall answer or what ye shall say, for the Holy Ghost shall teach you in the same hour what ye ought to say. As the Lord is concluding this period of teaching here, He concludes it with a warning to those who would profess to be believers, but really are just faithless, those who truly haven't trusted he speaks of a true confession in verses 8 and 9, and he's speaking of those who would confess Christ. He says that in verse number 8 specifically, that if you'll confess me before men, then the Son of Man will also confess uh, you before the angels of God. And see, the one who confesses Christ will also likewise receive acknowledgement for, before the angels. Up until this point in the book of Luke, the, the title, the Son of Man, has been just an indirect way, if you may, of Jesus referring to himself. But here it is completely and utterly, it's just, I mean, there's no way around it. It's, it's declaring him as God in the flesh. And we find that Jesus is saying, if you, if you confess me, then you, uh, you're mine. If you deny me, then you're far from me. Luke 5 and 24, but that ye may know that the Son of Man hath power upon earth to forgive sins. He said unto the sick of the palsy, I say unto thee, arise and take up thy couch Go into thine house. But he warns against those who would deny Christ in verse number nine. See, it's one thing, it's one thing to do certain acts. It's one thing to go certain places, but it's a totally different thing to truly know him. See, a person can come to church every time the doors are open. That doesn't make them a Christian. A person can do all kinds of things that we would think a Christian would do, but that doesn't make them a Christian. You want to know why? Because just because I step into a garage doesn't make me a car. And just because I quack doesn't make me a duck. And so what I'm saying is, is just because of where you go and what you do doesn't make you anything. You can pretend, you can put on a front, as we've already discussed this, this, this evening. But Jesus is saying, if there is going to be a true conversion, it's going to come through the confession of the fact that He is Lord and Savior and trusting Him as such. Luke 9 and 26, For whosoever shall be ashamed of me and of my words, of him shall the Son of Man be ashamed when he shall come in uh, his own glory and in his Father's and, in, and of the holy angels. 2 Timothy 2.12, If we suffer, we shall also reign with him. If we deny him, he shall also deny us. He even finishes out in verses 10 and 11 with the dangers of rejecting Christ. See, Jesus distinguishes between blaspheming or acting dishonorably against himself, the Son of Man, and then again against doing it against the Holy Spirit. See, he says this, that blasphemy against him could be forgiven, but blasphemy against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. What is, that be, be, what is being said in that? Well, uh, the Wycliffe Bible Commentary says this. It says, the slander against the Holy Spirit is irremediable because it cuts a man off from the only power that can change his inner life. See, the people of that day, they had reject, many of them had rejected John the Baptist and his preaching. What was he preaching? He was declaring the coming of Christ. He was declaring the coming of a kingdom. What was Jesus proclaiming? He was pretty much proclaiming the same thing. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. 
But one day after Jesus ascended, the scripture says that he would send us the comforter. He would send the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit would draw them in unto himself, the scripture says. And so therefore, if someone rejects, if someone goes against the conviction of the Holy Spirit and will not accept it, they will not be forgiven. See, my friends, God is gracious. And he might give you several chances The Holy Spirit might convict your heart several times, but there will come a point where that conviction will be the last time. And if you reject that conviction on that last time, there's, it's over. There's no chance to say, okay, well, uh, when I'm dying and I realize that I'm about to fall into hell, then I'll call out to Jesus. It doesn't work that way. Because the moment we take our last breath, we are standing before God And he's either saying, welcome home, good and faithful servant, or he's saying, depart from me. I never knew you. My friends, here's the truth of the matter. It is very dangerous to reject Christ. I know I'm speaking to a crowd on Sunday night. I know I'm speaking to a a group that you are probably here this morning. You spent a lot of time here this morning. Many of you served in different capacities this morning. I know that you took the time out of your Sunday night schedule to be here again tonight. Many of you will be back again Wednesday. Many of you do different things around the church as well. I understand that. But again, it goes back to the fact that just because you do and be doesn't make you a Christian. And I'm not trying to scare anybody into some type of confession. But I am saying this that it is proven that there are plenty of churches that have, peop- that have pews fill with people that don't know Christ. I'm just warned. I'm giving the warning that Jesus gave today. Remember who he specifically was speaking to. There was others that heard, but he's specifically speaking to his disciples. Who was in part of that crowd? Was not Judas? All I'm saying tonight is this. He's reminding them, he's warning to take care to avoid a faithless testimony. Matthew 12, verses 31 and 32. Wherefore I say unto you, all manner of sin and blasphemy shall be forgiven unto men, but the blasphemy against the Holy Ghost shall not be forgiven unto men. And whosoever speaketh a word against the Son of Man, it shall be forgiven him, but whosoever speaketh against the Holy Ghost, it shall not be forgiven him, neither in this world, neither in the world to come. As we look at the last two verses, verses 11 and 12, there's two things we can take home and we'll pray and be dismissed tonight. But notice... That in verses 11 and 12, that we have the promise that as a believer, that we can receive direction from the Holy Spirit. He says in verse number 11, and when they bring you into the synagogues and into magistrates and powers, take ye no thought how or what thing ye shall answer or what ye shall say for the Holy Ghost shall teach you in that same, in the same hour what ye ought to say. My friends, aren't you glad that the Holy Spirit guides us into all truth? Aren't you glad that the Lord has given us one as the comforter to, to, to work in our life and to, and to help guide our life as we yield to him? See, they, they were looking around and seeing the thousands of people, the disciples, they were looking around and seeing the thousands of people around. Some of them were for Jesus, some of them were in the neutral category, but some of them were directly opposed to the things of God. They were worried that many more would become opposed to the things of God, and that if they went against Jesus, that they might come against them as well. And there might be days, times that they have to stand against those in power or before those in power. And Jesus knows their thoughts. He knows their, their heart. 
He knows their fears and concerns, and He gives them the assurance that the Holy Ghost is going to be there, and He's going to guide them. That same Holy Spirit that is being spoken of there is the Spirit that lives inside of every believer today as well. And we have His direction in our life. And also, can I say this the night before I close, that everyone must make a true personal profession in Christ if, the, if they're going to avoid hell. You can't get to heaven. You can't get to Jesus. You can't get to God apart from Jesus Christ, His finished work. And the only way to avoid an eternity of punishment in hell is through Jesus Christ. Man, not, can't, man cannot work his way in the favor with God. Jesus is the only way to be saved, as Romans 10, 13 says, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Would you stand your feet with me tonight with our heads bowed and our eyes closed this evening? Jesus t took some time to help try to teach and give lessons to his disciples. Those lessons included to take heed against false teachers, to take account of the forgotten truths, and to take care to avoid a faithless testimony. My friends, those lessons that were given to the disciples, we can learn things from them tonight as well. We ought to also be careful to avoid um, false teaching, false teachers, the hypocrisy that would fall into that category as well. Are there some things that we know about God already, but we kind of put them on the back burner or forgotten about? Would you be reminded of how he, who He is, His power and His presence? And what about tonight? Would there be anyone, by chance, who might not truly know Christ as their Savior? Again, I'm not trying to throw any scare tactics out there to get some type of a, a, con, a confession or, or, or a conversion. But I'm just being honest and truth, truthful with you tonight. Every man, woman, boy, and girl must trust Christ for salvation if they have a hope, any hope of having a relationship with God in a home in heaven. My first question tonight, with our heads bowed and eyes closed out of respect of others, how many here would say, Pastor, I do know for sure that heaven's my home. I know that Christ is my personal Savior. Could I rejoice with you? Just slip your hand up and write back down. Hands all across the auditorium. I'm going to praise God for that. The fact that being able to be in the presence of other believers to worship with you tonight and, uh, and just have that camaraderie together as well, the encouragement uh, from one another. But is there anyone here tonight who would say, Pastor, honestly, I'm not sure that I'm saved. I don't know that Christ is my personal Savior. I'm not going to embarrass you or anything like that, but could I pray for you tonight? You say, Pastor, I am not sure that I'm saved and that heaven is my home. Could I just simply pray for you this evening? Slip your hand up and write back down if that's you, anybody like that. Then one last question. How many here would say, Pastor, I, I am saved, I know that. But as I've considered these other lessons, not uh, uh, the first two tonight, uh, to avoid false teachers and teaching, specifically as he focused on those of the Pharisees and their hypocrisy, are we not all at times prone to being able to be a little hypocritical? I think we would be, if we were to be honest, we, we, can't, we could honestly say we are. Are we not all also prone to maybe forgetting when times get tough and the storm is raging, forgetting the truths that we already know about God? And he reminded the disciples, he said, hey, don't, 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 remember, don't forget them. Take account of those forgetting truths. Remember his power. Remember his presence. Who here tonight who would say, Pastor, one of those things this evening in, that, in this, these lessons from Jesus, something tonight spoke to my heart, and would you pray with me that I'd give that to the Lord tonight? 
I'd like to pray with you this, this evening. Just slip your hand up and right back down. Hands all across the auditorium. I'm going to pray. When I'm finished praying, the piano is going to begin to play. And if the Lord spoke in your heart and you'd like to come down to the front and kneel at an altar, you're welcome to do so. Maybe you're not able to kneel, but right there in your seat, you'd, uh, you'd call out to the Lord and uh, respond as he's spoken to you today. Our Father, we thank you for this evening. Thank you for your message. Lord, have your will and your way in this invitation. We do ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.